Our scripture reading comes from Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home, marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Good morning. Go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you for being here to worship with us this morning, and happy Easter. Uh, We, as an elder and a pastoral team, are so glad that you are here this morning uh, with us to celebrate. And uh, let me just start out by saying that uh, we are here for one reason and one reason only this morning, and that's to celebrate that almost 2,000 years ago, a group of women woke up on Sunday morning to visit the tomb where Jesus of Nazareth had been laid to rest. And when they arose at the tomb, it was empty. Now, amen. Thank you. All right. Now, let me say this. I like the Easter bunny. We're not interested in celebrating him this morning. Now, he brings candy. I think it's great. Not celebrating him. Not here to celebrate spring, especially because here in Florida, it's summer already, although apparently this morning, it's not. It's cold. Um, but we're not here to celebrate daylight savings time. We're not even here to celebrate the fact that half of you guys were up till one o'clock last night in the swamp dancing away to Garth Brooks. I know that he came into town last night, and a lot of you guys are really excited about it. Some of you guys are like, who the heck is Garth Brooks? Right? For those of you that are under the age of 25, he was super popular when you were unborn. So uh, here, here, here's the reality. This day is dedicated to celebrating that the tomb was empty and that Jesus has risen from the dead. And as Christians, We believe that this is a fact of human history, and because it happened, it is the greatest news that anyone could ever know, share, and experience. And and it's kind of Easter is always a funny thing to me because I get we get really excited on Easter Sunday. I always tell people when when I'm talking with them and sharing the good news of Christ with them, I just say, "You ever notice how Christians get really crazy around Easter time? That's because that's that time of year that we get really really excited and that." even those of us that don't celebrate every Sunday still get excited about the fact that Jesus is ruling and reigning and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven, and one day he will return and set everything correct, and when that happens, every knee will bow to Jesus. And, here, and here's what I would say. At, at Aletheia Church, every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection, but today we're going to celebrate a little bit harder. And so here's, here's the reality. Over the course of the last two weeks, we have looked at, as a church, at various aspects of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, and we've asked a few questions. The first one was this. 
what are the implications of Jesus' claims to be the Messiah? And secondly, and what we saw last week, are what are the claims of the crucifixion? What is true of us because of Jesus' death on the cross. And so we saw two weeks ago, Pastor Daniel shared this. He said that the implications of Jesus being the promised Messiah of the Jews is that he is worthy of being followed, he is worthy of our attention, and he is worthy of us telling the nations about him. And then we saw last week with the implications of the crucifixion that sin is real, that it's serious, that all of us stand guilty before a holy God, but that Jesus paid our debt to him in full. And that when Jesus hung from the cross, the wrath of God for your sin and for mine was being fully paid by Jesus. And at that same time, Jesus was giving or crediting to those who might believe his perfect righteousness so that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can stand before God as a son or daughter. Now let me say this, I understand that because today is Easter Sunday, we have people from various backgrounds in the room here this morning. Some of you guys are Christians, and everything that I've just shared and everything that we're going to share this morning, you already believe it. You're excited. Some of you guys are cheering. Some of you guys are singing loud, but you believe in what Jesus has done on your behalf in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so a lot of what I'm going to say this morning is just going to be review and an act and a time for you to just swell up and worship to Jesus for what he's done. Some of you guys in here this morning, you're like I was. You are a cultural Christian or a nominal Christian, whatever term that we might want to use. And, and you may have grown up in the church and you, you go a couple times a year, but you definitely make sure you hit church on Easter and Christmas. And we're excited you're here this morning. But as we share this, this story this morning and we, we work through it, this may just be a ritual for you. And, and the, the life of Jesus has never fully impacted your heart or changed your life in some way, shape, or form. You may or may not even be convinced of the claims that Jesus and his disciples made. And then for some of you here this morning, you walk in here knowing that you don't believe. You know for sure that you are not a believer and a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. You're here because somebody invited you and you're like I was 13 years ago that you came to church on an Easter Sunday just so that your sister would stop asking you to go. Some of you guys are here this morning because you're here to support someone you love and care about that's going to be getting baptized later and that's going to share the story of how Jesus sh shaped and changed their lives. Some of you guys have no idea why you're here this morning. But let me ask you to do this for me today. No matter where you are, in one of those three categories that I just shared, will you do this for me? Will you listen to this story of, of a, a Sunday morning some 2,000 years ago and then will you give me the next 25 minutes of your time to explain to you why I think and believed that it actually happened? Because if the resurrection of Jesus actually occurred, it carries with it some of the most profound implications that the human race could ever have to wrestle with. If Jesus rose from the dead, his other claims can be trusted. In Luke chapter 24, we see that Jesus tells the disciples after his resurrection that the law and the prophets were fulfilled because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. 
we understand that if Jesus rose from the dead, Paul says in Romans 8 that he intercedes and leads at the right hand of God the Father and is ruling and reigning from heaven. And we understand that if Jesus really rose from the dead, that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that sin and death are defeated. They no longer have power over us, but we will live for eternity. And so if the resurrection is true, we are all faced with one simple question. What will I do with Jesus? How will I respond to him? So let's look at our verses this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn it over to Luke chapter 24. If you do not, it'll be up on the screen in front of you. But this is what Luke shares in his gospel about the morning of the resurrection of Jesus. He says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And so what, what I want you guys to understand and see there, what Luke is saying is on, on Sunday morning, the, these Jewish women who were followers and disciples of Jesus got up and they went to the tomb because they had planned to prepare his body as was a custom in Jewish life. Now, this is what, what these women were going to do is different from what the ancient Egyptians would do, which was embalm a body and prepare it to survive uh, decay. Uh, the, the Jews did not do that, but as an act of love, what they would do is after three days, they would go into the tomb of a loved one and they would, uh, they would anoint it with oil and with other spices so that it would help mask the smell of the decaying body inside the tomb. And some of you guys are like, Kevin, why is Kevin pausing and stopping and wanting to talk about this already? Here, here's what I want you to notice. This is important to understanding that because the women have prepared these spices and these oils to go and anoint the body of Jesus that morning, what did they expect to see when they got to the tomb? A dead body, right? They fully were prepared to arrive at the tomb that Sunday morning with the spices and the oil, assuming that he was still dead. But look at what happens when you get to verse two. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Right? And so these women, these followers of Jesus, who are going as an act of love towards the teacher that they had followed around for the last two to three years, 
right, arrive at this tomb on Sunday morning, heartbroken over the death of their leader as they still mourn. And as they arrive, the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. And the term that, that Luke uses to describe their mood as they walk in that morning is perplexed. What is, what is going on here? There's no one here. The tomb is empty. What happened? And they see these two men who happen to be angels, right? And these angels appear before them and say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And I love the angels' response to these women. They, they basically look at them and say, don't you understand that this was supposed to happen? Like, why would you show up this morning surprised to see that the body is not here? And these women who are amazed, they run back and tell the 11 remaining disciples what they have seen and heard. And these men, not surprisingly, as we've seen consistently throughout their time following Jesus, don't believe. They don't trust. I don't know what's going on with these ladies, but they're lying about something. Except for Peter, who runs to the tomb. And as he's there and sees the empty tomb, it says that he is amazed. And so here's where we're at this morning, guys. According to these women, according to the disciples, according to Luke, they arose on Sunday morning, went to the tomb, and here's what we know. Jesus was dead. Jesus had been placed in a tomb, and now the body is gone. And so something happened to that body. Something happened to it. There was a body there, and now it's not. And so I'm going to share with you five explanations for what, have, could have, what could have happened to that body. A lot of this comes from a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. If you're more interested in, 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 in learning more and doing a little bit more research on your own the same way I did uh, as, a, as a young follower of Jesus, I would highly recommend that book. But in that book, they offer five explanations for what could have happened that morning as these women went to the tomb and found it empty. All right, and so let me share these with you. The first one is this. Right, as the women went to the tomb, they went to the wrong tomb. Now, hear me when I say this. If you, you are free to believe whatever you want. But if you believe that the women went to the wrong tomb, you have a lot more faith than I do. Because here's what I know. One, and dudes, I'm calling you out. Women are smarter than us. <laughs> they ain't gonna go to the wrong tomb. It ain't gonna happen. But if they did, go to, did in fact go to the wrong tomb and started spreading this news that Jesus had risen from the dead and that they had seen these angels, right? What do you think would have happened? They would have, they would have been told, oh, no, 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 you went to the wrong tomb, he's over here, here, here's the body. Right, here's the fascinating thing that we need to get into our heads this morning and understand whether you're a follower of Jesus in here or not this morning. The entire story of Christianity hangs on this fact that Jesus was dead and then his followers claimed to see him alive again. If he was really dead, why was a body never produced? Right, the church could have been stopped in its tracks on the Sunday after the crucifixion of Jesus if they had simply produced the body. But guess what? They couldn't. Right, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 28 with me really quickly, right, the, 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 this claim that the women went to the wrong tomb, look at what Matthew shares. 
He says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So the, the guards that had been set outside of Jesus' tomb by the Roman authorities Right, go into Jerusalem to tell the chief priests, hey, the body's gone and we got knocked out by some angels and the, t- the stone was rolled away and now he's gone. And so they roll into town to tell him this and when they had assembled with the elders and taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, I don't share that to offer you another theory on what had happened to Jesus' body, although we'll talk about that in just a minute. But even the Jewish religious leaders have come to the realization that the body is not there. The body is gone. And so the women did not go to the wrong tomb And the soldiers and the religious authorities knew that the body was gone. And so they told the soldiers to say that they fell asleep and that it was stolen. The women went to the right tomb. Now, let's let's look at this this other theory then that Matthew says the Jewish religious leaders concocted. The body was stolen out of the tomb by Jesus' disciples. I actually think this theory is more absurd Uh, than them going to the wrong tomb, and here's why. If you read throughout the Gospels, here's what you notice about Jesus' followers. They're fishermen, and they're cowards. Like like huge cowards, right? Like consistently, right, Jesus asks them to do things, and they don't follow through. And then when you get to the final week of Jesus' life, Right, as, they, as they're at the Last Supper, Jesus turns to the number one disciple, Peter. It's like, if anyone's going to stand up for me, it's going to be this guy. And he says, yeah, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And if you hear the account at Jesus' uh, arrest and then trial, Peter not only denies being a follower of Jesus, he denies that he even knows who Jesus is. And so you expect me to believe that a ragtag group of fishermen who were cowards and wouldn't even admit that they knew who Jesus was overpowered a couple of Roman guards, the best soldiers the world had seen at that point in time, and then uh, rolled a couple hundred pound stone out of the way to get Jesus' body out of the tomb. Good luck. Guys, the disciples didn't become Navy SEALs overnight. They were still the same cowardly fishermen that Sunday morning. And let me ask this. What would have been the disciples' motivation for stealing the body in the first place? Let's let's take this to its logical conclusion. You say, yeah, Kevin, no, I think they did steal the body. Because they had a lot to gain. Every single one of them was martyred except for one, and church history says that they tried to martyr John and they screwed it up and they were so afraid that they couldn't kill him that they exiled him to an island. They didn't have anything to gain from this. They had everything to lose by claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead, and yet what did they do? Continued to claim that he had risen. Verse 
Guys, many of us lie. Some of us lie more than others. Some of us lie about things that we don't know we're lying about. But when you are an eyewitness to something like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know whether it's a lie or not. And no one is willing to die for a lie that they know is a lie. No one. Here's a a third theory that has been uh, actually popularized recently about what could have happened that morning, right? We saw, we've seen that some people think that Jesus' uh, uh, followers went to the wrong tomb. We've seen that the Jewish religious leaders started spreading the story that his disciples had actually stolen the body, both of which are patently absurd. This one's um, a lot of fun as well. Um, A lot of modern scholars and philosophers posit that Jesus' disciples um, hallucinated the resurrection, Yes. <laughs> right, so let me get this straight. Jesus' followers used illicit drugs, and they all hallucinated that they saw Jesus at the same time. Now, I don't need to see a show of hands on who's used drugs in here or not. Full disclosure, I have, okay? I have hallucinated. My friends and I did not have the same hallucinations, because that's not how drugs work, right? You expect me to believe, right? If you, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let, just, just look at this really quick with me, right? Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, look at this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So, not only uh, did these men all have hallucinations that Jesus did it, but they did it at separate times, and at one time, apparently 500 of them were all hitting the same drugs and uh, hallucinated. You ever hear the story that some people, are, some people are too smart for their own good? This is one of those times. Either they're lying or they actually saw him. They did not hallucinate this. Over the years, the two probably the most popular theories that people have given for the resurrection of Jesus have been the one that the disciples stole the body and then this next theory. That Jesus didn't really die on the cross but just appeared to be dead and that's why he was able to leave the tomb three days later. It's, called, it's popularized uh, in the, in the, around the 1500s. It's called the swoon theory. Now, Daniel talked about this last week, and so I would encourage you, you can hop on our, our website and go back and listen to that sermon if, if you have time and want to do that. But, but here's what we need to know. Romans were expert executioners. And, and, and many people, as Daniel shared last week, died before they ever even made it to the cross. That the beatings that would take place before crucifixion were so brutal that if you were to be beaten, some people didn't even make it to the actual crucifixion itself. 
but that if they did, they weren't going to survive the crucifixion because the way that a crucifixion took place is that you would die by asphyxiation hanging from the cross. And so you would push yourself up to breathe and then you would tire and then you would hang there for a while being unable to breathe. And it was a grueling and excruciating way to die. And Roman history states that if someone was on the cross and they didn't die, they still end up, ended up killing that prisoner, but they would also kill the guards who were in charge of the crucifixion as well for not doing their job. And so here we have on the cross, right, Jesus beaten previously to a pulp, right, who then goes to the cross, right? And if you read John chapter 19, John actually shares, shares a really, really cool part of this, this story of the crucifixion. But look at what he says starting in verse 31 of John 19. Since it was the day of preparation, and that means Friday, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they may be taken away. And so to, to expedite the process of killing somebody on the cross, what you do is you'd break their legs because they would no longer be able to push themselves up and breathe. And so the religious leaders asked that these three men who were being crucified, one of them being Jesus, have their legs broken. So the soldiers came out and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. All right, here's why that's important. The Roman guards still wanted to do their job of making sure that Jesus was actually dead. Now, I'm no medical scientist. I, I haven't been to med school, but here's what I do know. That if someone dies of cardiac arrest or asphyxiation, you end up holding fluid on your heart and on your lungs. And so when Jesus was pierced, what would end up happening and what you would expect to happen would be some clear fluid coming out along with a lot of blood. And that's exactly what John says happened to Jesus. But even if... Jesus gets pierced by these Roman soldiers. The, the liquid comes out, the blood comes out, and you, and you see all this, and yet he's still not dead. I, I love what uh, Dr. Robert Stein, he's a forensic pathologist, uh, says in regards to the swoon theory. He says, a person in the kind of pathetic condition that Jesus would have been in would never have inspired his disciples to go out and proclaim that he's the Lord of life who had triumphed over the grave if he hadn't actually been dead in the first place. Their point being that if Jesus really did go through the beating and crucifixion that the disciples claim he did and that most of human history attests to happened some 2,000 years ago, they never would have then gone out and begun the work of spreading the good news of Jesus' resurrection unless they actually saw the resurrected Christ. That no one in the condition that Jesus would have been in would have ever motivated anyone to follow him. And so that leaves a fifth option. That Jesus actually rose from the dead as his disciples claim. And here's why I believe it. Two, two separate categories. One, the biblical evidence seems to be consistent with itself that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. 
right? If you look in Mark chapter 8, verse 30 through 32, you see weeks and weeks before Jesus ever even heads to Jerusalem and dies that he predicts to his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered up into the hands of wicked men. They're going to turn me over. They're going to crucify me. And then I'm going to raise again three days later. Pretty bold claim. I love at the end of that, it says his disciples didn't understand what was going on. Not, not uncommon for them. But Jesus predicted his own betrayal, death, and resurrection. If you read, and we don't have time to look at this this morning, but I would encourage you to do this this week. If you have a Bible or pull it up on a Bible, back, Bible app, go back and read Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah predicts a coming, suffering servant who's going to die for the sins of Israel and that by his stripes and wounds we will be healed. Right, that the biblical evidence seems to point through both in the New Testament and the Old Testament that Jesus knew this was coming. In our own account that we read this morning, as the angels come to the women, they speak to the women at the tomb and say, why are you surprised at this? You knew he was going to raise from the dead. He told you he was going to raise from the dead. He's amongst the living now. And as I shared earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul claims that 500 people saw the resurrected Christ and that many of them were still alive at the time that he wrote that letter to the church at Corinth. Guys, if I told you that I had died and risen from the dead and there were 500 people that could give testimony to that, you could believe it. And you want to know why? 500 people don't tell the same story unless they all saw the same thing. I love Chuck Colson. Um, he was uh, the press secretary and special counsel for Richard Nixon during the Watergate scandal. And he, this is what he says. He says that he is convinced of the resurrection because if you see the accounts biblically, they all line up with one another. And yet there were 12 people that knew about Watergate and could have covered up for Nixon and they didn't even last six weeks after the Watergate scandal. And they had everything to gain by keeping Nixon in power and everything to lose by, uh, by telling the truth. And he said, not one of us was able to keep it a secret. And yet we have thousands of years of this consistent story being told because the biblical evidence claims that Jesus died and rose again. Now, outside of the Bible, I think there's historical and circumstantial evidence that also points to the resurrection being a fact of human history. Some of this is borrowed from J.P. Moreland, who's a philosopher at Biola University, right? But he says this, one of the biggest pieces of evidence for him is that all the disciples except for one died for their belief that Jesus rose from the dead. People don't die for things that aren't true if they know they're a lie. He said, plus, we know this, something transformed these men. Something transformed these men from being cowards to being willing to die for their eyewitness testimony that Jesus was alive again. He says, not only is the disciples' life evidence to him, but that many skeptics were converted after the resurrection of Jesus. Right? Jesus' own family, Mary and James, were embarrassed throughout the Gospels at Jesus' ministry. Right? They refused to be seen or be around him. And yet James... Jesus' own brother ends up being one of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem because the resurrected Christ meets him. And maybe one of the best stories of all, and Paul shares this in 1 Corinthians 15, 
Paul was a part of the religious elite in Sanhedrin, part of the men who put Jesus to death. And he spent years after Jesus' resurrection, as Jesus' disciples went around the Holy Land proclaiming that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah who rose from the dead and that he had died for your sins and for mine and rose again. As men and women went around the Holy Land proclaiming this good news, Paul was having them jailed and killed. Till one day Paul is on the road to Damascus bringing orders to kill more Christians and guess who he meets on the road to Damascus? The resurrected Christ. And his life is forever changed as one who persecuted the church to one who probably started more churches in the Roman world than any other person in human history. We see changes to social structures in Jewish life. Guys, The Jewish people had traditions that had been in place for hundreds of years before Jesus ever even walked the earth. And in that time, the Jewish people had suffered persecution, exile. People had attempted to create cultural genocide against the Jewish people. And yet, in the midst of that exile, Jewish men and women believed that God had given these religious instructions to them and so they preserved them. And yet, you see that after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that many things change, many things change in that society, that the sacrificial system is done away with, that the Sabbath day for many is changed from Saturday to Sunday to honor the resurrection of Christ, that Jews who converted to Christianity started worshiping Jesus as God, which would have been anathema to them. Because the Ten Commandments claim there is only one God. So unless Jesus is God in the flesh, what they were doing was wrong. And you see thousands of Jewish men and women begin to worship Jesus as Lord because of the testimony of the resurrection. We see in early church history, communion and baptism teaching us about the death and betrayal of Jesus and that that baptism, which we're gonna observe this morning in a few minutes, is an identifying of a follower of Jesus who identifies both with going into the water and burial, but also coming out of that water, raised to new life the way that Jesus came out of the tomb. And guys, baptism was a Jewish practice that used to symbolize cleansing, but for Christians, it represented identifying with the life, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And lastly, we see this. The Roman world attempted for decades, for hundreds of years, to stop the spread of the gospel. Nero burned Christians alive. The early followers of Christ were martyred and killed for claiming they had seen the resurrected Jesus, and yet the church still stands and grows. Because like Gamaliel says to the religious leaders of Jerusalem as they are beating Peter and the other apostles, he says, we must be careful with these men because we have seen others claim to be the Messiah in the past and once they're dead, we see that their followers leave. But if this man was truly the Christ, we will find ourselves kicking against the goads and working against God himself and we will not be able to withstand it. And guys, the church continues to grow because Jesus rose from the dead and that he leads his church ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father. 
if you want to believe one of those other stories, by all means, go ahead. But if there's even an ounce inside of you that believes that God might exist, guess what else can exist? The resurrection. And the most likely scenario that we have based upon the evidence before us is that Jesus lived. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried. And Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because he's God's son. Why? Because he's God's son in the flesh. Why? Because he came to fulfill the God, God the Father's perfect plan to rescue you and I who were in open rebellion towards the Father. Guys, sin is not just something that we do sometimes where we do bad things. Sin is rebellion and treason against the God and creator of the universe. A holy God who demands that we honor him for what he's done. And Jesus came because it was the Father's will for him to come, to live, and to die on our behalf, and then rise again to prove that the Father had accepted what Jesus had done for us. Jesus is who he said he was. He's the Messiah, the Son of God in the flesh. He's the one who made claims like, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but, but through me. Claims like, I am one with the Father, and I and the Father are one. And his resurrection declares to us that sin had to be dealt with, and Jesus did it on Calvary. I love that song that sings that on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And every sin on him was laid, but here in the power of Christ, I live. And we have hope that we live in the power of Christ, not because Jesus died, but because he died and then he rose again. Jesus lives and reigns, and the resurrection declares to us that Jesus won. We are saved. We are free, that we are free from sin, that we are free from death, and we are alive to God today with purpose and hope. I don't know where everyone in here is. I know that before I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I, I thought the best way to walk through life was to live an individualistic life that was centered around meeting my own needs and my own wants and my own desires. Because that's what I had been conditioned and taught. That I would, if I pursued the American dream and that if I worked hard enough to self-actualize, there would actually be meaning in my life. And the further and further I went down the trail of trying to seek after my own glory and rewrite my own story of happiness, the more miserable I got. And then I met Jesus. And guys, if you'd come to me 13 years ago and said, Kevin, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about having a, a personal relationship with him? Do you think he's really risen from the dead? Can you know him? I would have looked at you and I would have laughed you out of the room. And now I talk to him every day. Because he's alive. You're gonna hear nine testimonies later today of people whose lives have been radically transformed by Jesus. And the reason we know that can be true is because he's still alive, ruling and reigning at heaven. So here's what I would ask you. What will you do with him? What will you do with Jesus? Because he's alive. And he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. 
And he looks to you and he looks to me and he says, I died for you. I gave my life for you. Will you trust me? Will you give your life to me? Will you follow me? That's the invitation that the resurrection gives us. What will you do with Jesus? I'm gonna invite the band back up. Right, and we're going to have a time to respond. If you're a Christian here this morning, right, here's what I would encourage you to do. Worship freely because your Savior and King lives. We're going to take communion, and communion is a time for us to respond in an act of worship, thanking God that Jesus' flesh and blood was poured out for us. If you're not a Christian here this morning, thank you for being here. We would ask that you not take communion because communion for a Christian represents that we believe that Jesus' flesh and blood was poured out for us and you don't believe that, it doesn't hold the same symbolism or meaning for you. If you want to talk to somebody about that, we'll have some people in the back that you can go talk to about that. If you're hungry, I think we still have some donuts, grab one. But communion is an act of worship for those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, why not? Why not? greatest act of love that anyone could ever show is that that one would lay down his life for another. And the story of the Gospels is that is exactly what God did for you and for me. Today can be the day where you go from an enemy of God to being adopted as a son and daughter repentance and faith you can trust in what Jesus did on the cross and your life will be forever changed but your eternity will definitely be forever changed let's pray God there's only one thing I want to declare this morning and that's we, that we worship you Jesus, thank you that as I pray right now, you hear me because you rule and reign at the right hand of the Father. May we make much of you, Jesus, because you are worthy, worthy to be praised. We look forward to your return, but until that time, Lord, might you continue to use us to be heralds of your story that you gave your life freely and willingly for us. We'll continue to save and draw people to you in only the way that you can. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.